The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade, never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, Steve Brissendine, Sporting KC beat writer, joins us to talk about what's next for the U.S. Men's National Team after their elimination from the 2018 World Cup. We then discuss what we think is wrong and what we think needs to be fixed up in the national team program. Finally, the MLS playoffs are heating up, and the penultimate weekend just wrapped up. We look at the storylines going into the final week of the season. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast. Stephen Jodderin, Armand Kafai. No, Tuesday night was not a nightmare. It was reality. USA are out of the World Cup. They're not going, Armand. Yeah, kind of <laughs> sucks, but hey, we got to move on. We got some great, great storylines coming up. We got yes. some great topics of discussion. Absolutely. I'm excited for this week's episode. I'm excited for the future of U.S. soccer, at least right now. But how? Yeah. Are you, I, I, what? You're excited? That makes no sense. By the way, I wanted to say a massive thank you to all your listeners. We had a record amount of listens and downloads. Yeah, five, five, five. This yeah, past five week, and I just wanted to say thank you very much. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We appreciate all the feedback we got. Please subscribe and continue to share with your friends and uh, interact with us as much. If you hate us, let us know how and why you hate us so much. If we're wrong. And I want in-depth descriptions on how much you hate me. Yes, absolutely. All right, Armand, let's get to it. Uh, joining us from Children's Mercy Park is Steve. Sporting Live. KC. Live, yeah. It's loud in there. Can you hear us? Oh. Yeah, I can hear you, but it is loud. Everybody's uh, streaming in here for Sporting Kansas City versus Houston. It's a big one tonight, so everybody's getting a little crazy already. Yeah, uh, I'm sure the uh, the liquid is flowing strong in that <laughs> in that area of the world right oh, now. Yeah. But, uh, we brought you on not to talk about some uh, talk about Sporting KC, but to talk about U.S. soccer. And I, I was would give you the platform. Give us your thoughts after uh, Tuesday night and what's developed with Bruce Arena. I guess resigning and. Gl- Claudie saying he wants to stay and blah, blah, blah. 
<laughs> I think blah, blah, blah is a good way to put it. Because, look, I mean, it's fairly evident there needs to be a sea change in U.S. soccer. And the first thing you need to do, though, is to note that Sunil Galati has gotten U.S. soccer a long way from where it was before, when he, before he took over. But now I think it's time for a change from the top down. Because you, you're, you can't be as regular as the U.S. has been in uh, the World Cup and as big a power as the U.S. has been in CONCACAF for years and not make the big tournament. Uh, clearly, there's just something that's not right, and it, uh, I think it's going to take a change from the top down. Uh, with Arena leaving again, uh, it was not a good it was not a good coaching job the other night. I think pretty much everybody agrees with that. You didn't you don't throw out the same lineup that you threw out against Panama for a game on a on a bad pitch with a completely different strategy, where all you need to do is save one point and you're in. So I, I think the, the management was not good, and I hate to say I, I think Bruce was disinterested in that. I mean, it's the same, almost the same approach you saw from him in that game as you saw from him when he was at the Galaxy in Open Cup games. You almost get the feeling if he could have sent Curtin Alfo to that game in Trinidad that he would have. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I like that. I like that. Well, Steve, I have a question for you because Taylor Twelman went on his rant about the media, blah, blah, blah again. Why why are we talking about US soccer media not being critical enough? Why why is that such a problem? Well, I, I really think you know, I, I kinda have to go with Taylor on this one in that there is you know, as US soccer media have gotten more critical. But I still think there's this sort of this idea that soccer somehow needs to be protected in this country because it's somehow a fringe sport and it kinda needs to be a little bit of a hothouse flower. You look at the countries that take the game seriously and they they hold feet to the fire. I mean, they they drag coaches after a win sometimes because the expectation is that the, the national team uh, and the and the youth teams, the Olympic teams, etc., will do well. So I think I don't think it's bad to to hold uh, U.S. soccer's feet to the fire. I think it's maybe you're going to see a sea change in how uh, how the media treats the game here. It's like okay, it's, it's grown up now. We can treat it like a grown up. We can call out the things that need to be fixed without being accused of being disloyal to the sport or trying to hurt the sport in the country. Um, we have to decide, are we going to treat it like a grown-up sport or are we going to try to coddle it? If we keep coddling it, then it's not going to grow. No, absolutely, Steve. You're, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I felt like the media was very light. I mean, we even had uh, some guests on the show that like it was like, no, we're fine, even after kind of like a lackluster performance. Um what what do you think is the main root main issue? Like I know there's a lot. I know there's plenty. But in your eyes, <laughs> what do you think's the 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 biggest one in your opinion? Um, I think. Well, we keep trying to do the same things that have been done before. Um, you know, bringing back Bruce Arena was a safe choice, and I'm not saying it was a it was a bad choice to start off with. But I would rather see somebody who's a little more excited about the program. And somebody who's feeling a little more pressure to succeed in the program, because it's not just okay. I'm I'm an, basically an interim guy until the World Cup. It's somebody who's auditioning for the job full time and coaching like he's auditioning for the job full time uh, for the full next cycle. And uh, I don't think that happened this time. I I think that uh, there needs to be a change in how the whole program is developed top to bottom, because you look at the we missed the Olympics, uh, missed the U20 World Cup. Things like that show that, that the game needs, a, an, I don't want to say 
a full overhaul, but at least some serious uh, drivetrain work between now and the start of the next qualifying cycle, maybe even before the next Olympic cycle. Yeah, you know, Steve, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. I think it, it comes down to one issue because I, I was reading Reddit, Facebook, comments left to right, promotion, relegation, player development, Gladys got to go, Bruce Arena, the players, this, that. It comes down, to me, it comes down to one issue, and it's USA does not have the culture yet to really enjoy this sport. If if the culture aspect was like you see some of these markets, like, say, New England, with the expectation to win from the Sox, from the Patriots, from the Bruins, from the Celtics, you would have the pressure on these players to perform better. But we're just kind of, like, goofing off. I don't know what we're doing, you know, heads stuck in between our legs, thinking, yeah, USA is going to qualify for the World Cup, but we got problems left and right, like Armand alluded to. We, we got guests coming on the show saying, nah, we'll be fine. And then, you know, we couldn't even get a point. It's just a cultural – to me, it's a cultural aspect. It was, it, I think part of it is that is that, you know, people still – they know the game. But yeah. I still think there's a lot of people who know the game from the Premier League or from the Bundesliga, from Serie A, from La Liga – who aren't as invested in the U.S. national team as a lot of people are invested in their club teams, either here or overseas. And I think there's also uh, maybe a sense that what got us here is going to keep keep us going. And the things that got the U.S. to where they are now, are they're, they're not working. Something is, something is not clicking. Whether it's players coming back uh, too early not staying to fight overseas, whether it's, I, I think part of it is sticking with guys too long. I think that they've, they've stuck with, with uh, Howard and Guzan too long and with Ramondo. God love them, but they're getting long the tooth and they're not as sharp as they used to be. We're not looking for that. I don't, I don't see that we're looking hard for that next U.S. goalkeeper. I, I think, you know, why wasn't Tim Melia called in into that last uh, round of qualifying? The guy is... Are, I would say arguably he's the best keeper in MLS right now. He's in the best form right now. Obviously he's hurt, but it, you know, had he been called in, he wouldn't have got hurt on that janky turf in, in Minnesota. But I, I think yeah. there's there's not so much a willingness to take risks. And then you're you're in a situation where you need a result. You're going to have to do some unusual things, maybe some things you haven't done before, to quit being the team that everybody knows how they're going to play, and throw something different at at clubs so they can't keep guess can't keep reading just how, uh, how the, the American game is going to be played. Um, I think the whole thing goes back to, though, to me it goes back to 2014 and giving Klinsman that second World Cup cycle uh, and, and things not really uh, being in the position where he should have had that second World Cup cycle. Uh, so the, the, the problem's been festering for some time now. It's just finally, you know, the, uh, the infection popped and it's, it's gross and it's and it's – you know, ugly and smelly, but at yeah. least there's a chance to clean everything out, disinfect things, sew the thing up. To, so, you know, it's gonna it's gonna leave a scar on the heels. But to uh, to, to get the junk cleaned out and to to go forward there from there and, and with some healthy tissue in the program. So I I, I agree, Stephen. You alluded to one of the uh, issues that many people have been talking about when it comes to the lack of taking risks and whatnot. I mean, we heard it in Jermaine Jones's rant uh, on Instagram yeah. <laughs> Live when he talked about Jordan Morris not going to Werder Bremen. 
Um, there's also been a lot of criticism that a lot of players have been coming to MLS uh, to feel more comfort. Now, I mean, in some instances, I don't believe that's true, but I think in some instances, I do believe it's true. I mean, for for, for some players, it might be better to come back to MLS, but for some, it, it might not be. So, I mean, I think I think you are right when it comes to taking risks and whatnot. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of players seem to take that many risks. And I'm not saying go to the Premier League and, you know, try to start playing there. I'm saying maybe go maybe challenge yourself in Europe, maybe in the Dutch League or, or something just like that. I mean, nothing is wrong with MLS, but MLS is obviously not to par to these uh, European sides, if that makes any sense. Well, where guys ought to be challenging themselves, I think you're, you're right. They need to be going to the, to the Dutch League. They need to be going to Portugal. Yeah. They need to be going to, you know, places that have – you know, go and say to Greece or to Turkey, places that have good leagues, they're, maybe they're not the top four. But places that they're going to get minutes, places that they're going to, to to compete against some good players for starts, and maybe some lower-level Serie A clubs, some lower-level um, premiership clubs. I would even say some championship clubs because that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good grade of football. But they need to go where they're going to play. And they need to, to go where they're going to get quality opposition because if you get a guy who's going to say to, to Chelsea and not playing, or going to Man United and not playing, going to, to someplace in Germany and then not what's playing, the point? There, there, there's no yeah. point in that. You know, you need minutes, and I'm, I I really think that you're going to have to look at at the the, uh, the quality of not only the quality of play but the quality of time that a player is going to get. Because you call back somebody who's not playing with their with their European club. Well, you're not going to get a guy who, who's, for one, match fit or, or, or match ready because he's not getting matches. Or they're getting matches, you know, in, in reserve games, things like that. So I, I think you look at, at Mexico, uh, I look back at Mexico, I covered them in the 2006 World Cup. They, they went out in the, uh, in the round of 16 uh, against Argentina in overtime. And they really took a hard look at the program and what they were doing and, and where they'd send enough players overseas. And there was a concerted effort after that World Cup to try to get more guys into overseas clubs where they were going to be playing, not like, you know, Borghetti going someplace and, and not playing. But guys who were going to go and, and play in, in European clubs, clubs abroad, and get good minutes. And I think that's paid off for them over the years because they, they, they refused to accept that getting to a round of 16 and losing against a really good Argentina side on a, on the best goal of the tournament was good enough. So I think that's what has to be done here. Is you have to they have to look and say you know this isn't good enough. We're no. not we're not where we where we can be. And it, maybe it's a, it's a talent thing. The other thing that I think we need to do, and I think people have talked about, it, is we need to get soccer out of the suburbs entirely. There's nothing yeah. wrong with the suburban kids. But I grew up in Southwest Kansas. There are a ton of Latino kids out there playing really good, creative ball, but their loyalty is all south of the border, different countries. There's got to be a way to integrate those kids in to the the, the, the American game, make them feel like this country wants them mm. beyond beyond the service of you know we need some more creativity in the game, or or we want Latino kids who you know have grown up in the suburbs. You know, so they're they're Latino, but they're also they're not playing a, the the kind of uh, Latin street game that yeah. would really revitalize U.S. soccer. We're not touching the the inner cities. Uh, I think Sporting's trying to trying to here. You know, I'm talking about Sporting a little bit. They're trying to reach out to the the inner city kids with futsal courts and things like that. So they're not just getting the uh, 
the, the, the kids from the suburbs with the pay-to-play. Um, yeah, because you look at the rest of the world, soccer is not a rich kid sport in the rest of the world. No, soccer is the way in the rest of the world. And, and guys like PK, whose family is, is wealthy and well-connected in, in yeah. politics, are a rarity. You, you get, you're getting the kids, you know, you look at Rooney. Rooney was making do with a makeshift ball. That, that, that he was out there on his own just kicking it off a wall and visualizing things over and over and over again. We need to we need a revitalization of the game, and it's going to have to come from these little towns. It's going to have to come from the inner cities. It's going to have to come from players who are not uh, getting that academy experience right now. Yeah, no, I, I think you're you're 100% right. I mean, if you look at Germany, you got Absolutely. a ton, ton of Turks. Yeah. Switzerland got all these, you know, the Albanian, Kosovo region – France from all the you know the African players that 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 migrate the United States you don't get that sense everybody seems to be you know your stereotypical American born you know Clint Dempsey born in Texas uh, so but Steve I, I just want to wrap it up I know the game's about to start any chance that Vermes takes the job with U.S. soccer if they asked him he would take it as a good soldier I don't know how I think he would chafe at it because Vermes likes control he likes to control development from uh, the youth level on up. And he wouldn't have that with U.S. soccer. He'd have to deal with the talent pool that he was given, getting the minutes they were getting at the, the, at the other clubs with the fitness demands of other clubs. It would really drive him a little nuts, I think. But I think he would take it as a good soldier because he is he's very proud to be a, a, a U.S. international. He's a U.S. soccer Hall of Famer. And I think he would he would do it for his country, but I would think he would also chafe at the restrictions. Mm. Mm. Absolutely, Steve. Well, Steve, we want to thank you for our insight. And like we did last time, we want to give you the ability to plug yourself on the show. So it's our shameless plug. Where can we find all your work? And where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, just at Steve Brizendime, my name. Uh, and you can find my work on MLSsoccer.com. Uh, look for material out of the uh, Houston sporting game tonight, and uh, let me know what you think. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Steve. Talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks very much. Oh, it's always good to talk to Steve Armand. Love it. Yeah, and you could hear the uh, KC atmosphere in the background. It's it's absolutely electric. But we're going to continue our U.S. talk here. Yes, Steven. We have another guest coming on. Yes. Franco Pizzo. Editor at MLSsoccer.com and writer at American Soccer Now. Franco, how are you doing today? I know you had some editing to do, so uh, just how are you doing? How's everything going? Hey, everything's going well, man. Uh, soccer keeps going, so so it's good. <laughs> uh, even even if uh, this week has been pretty uh, pretty bad for for most people. You know, I was side note. I was talking to a buddy of mine, uh, and I was just looking at this week as a whole. When it comes to my Soccer clubs, I've taken L after L after L <laughs> after L. <laughs> it's been brutal. But what's your take on this U.S. soccer uh, debacle? I mean, you got, you know, Lexi Lawless, Taylor Twellman. Everybody seems to have an opinion. Why? why go ahead and put yours out there for us. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean it's, you know, it's pretty much the one that most people share. It's a, it's a nightmare. It's a travesty. It's a... An epic failure uh, on U.S. national team's part and yeah. U.S. soccer's part. Uh, you know, the U.S. should not be missing uh, the World Cup next summer. Uh, you know, Concacaf is designed. Uh, the qualifying campaign is designed for the U.S. and Mexico. 
with all the ratings that they bring and and all, and all that for FIFA, that it's designed for them to make it. And the fact that the U.S. finished fifth place out of six teams uh, just shows how how poor they were throughout the entire campaign. Uh, you know, obviously this this last game against Trinidad and Tobago was was really uh, an eye-opening defeat, uh, and it was a poor performance overall from the U.S. in that game, uh, especially given what was on the line. But uh, overall, the U.S. was just terrible <laughs> in this in the in the past <laughs> year in this qualifying campaign, and uh, you know they they don't deserve to be in Russia uh, based on the way they've played. No, oh, they absolutely don't deserve. Armand? Yeah, they 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 really don't. I mean, when we were, I was watching that Trinidad game and. I mean, you you watched it. You just got sense that just something was something was off, and I feel like this has kind of been culminating a little bit. I mean, we uh, heard, I mean, from Jermaine Jones what his opinion was on players not uh, challenging themselves by not going overseas and yeah. coming to MLS. And I mean, I I feel like I kind of agree with that, but I don't think MLS is to blame. Um, Franco, I know you heard the comments from Jermaine Jones. What would you make of what he said? Uh, I mean, his rant was pretty spot on. Uh, I mean, what he said is, I mean, I don't think you can really dispute that. Uh, you know, players that have come here uh, at, at younger ages, I, I mean, he came here as well to MLS and uh, after the 2014 World Cup. Uh, but, you know, he had already made his career. He was pretty, he was on the, you know, the down, the down years of his career. Right. Um, and his whole point was that, you know, players that are young, that, that are still either before or at their prime need to try to test themselves at the highest level. Uh, and, and not not stick around in MLS just because it's you know it's comfortable uh, or it's easier or uh, you know it's it's qu- it's it's a faster path to, to finding minutes or because obviously you're not going to test yourself at the highest level no. uh, in MLS. There's not there's nothing wrong with saying that MLS is not at the highest level at at its current in its current right. stage. The, the highest level and anywhere else in the world the aspiration is. Uh, you know, you, you start your career, and then eventually you want to be playing in Europe, uh, whether it's in Europa League champions, and you want to test yeah, yourself out in Europe. Sure. That's that's the ultimate goal for almost anyone uh, that's growing up playing soccer or that has dreams of playing soccer professionally. So it's not, it's not a slight to MLS to say that it's not it's not the highest level of soccer of club soccer. So uh, I I completely agree with Jermaine Jones. Uh, I mean, I thought the the little anecdote he 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 put in there about Jordan Morris and then yeah. Jordan Morris wanting to stay in Seattle because. You know his family was there, and because uh, you know his he, his girlfriend's there, and and the, his mom bought him and his girlfriend a dog. I thought that was pretty. <laughs> I thought that was pretty eye, like pretty revealing and pretty eye opening, and just about about the standard. Uh, you know that that's being set. Uh, you know players just are, are getting comfortable. Uh, you know, but before it was yeah, you could come to MLS, but eventually you, you'd make your way over to Europe, or, or you'd want to make your way over to Europe. Now MLS is investing more money. It's it's becoming more more attractive to want to stay, but. At the same time, if if you can if you can find a setting uh, to to go play abroad uh, that that suits you, uh, I mean, Werder Bremen is not a bad place to go to um, in the in the German Bundesliga if you were Jordan Morris, but he he, he opted to stay and, and stay in MLS, uh, and and I mean, it, we'll see how it pans out. I mean, he still has time yeah. to go to go abroad and, and work it out, but I mean, Jermaine Jermaine Jones's point is was pretty spot on uh, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, I. I t- it's weird because Jermaine Jones's comments aren't like we said they're spot on, but it, it, it's kind of contradicting to what MLS wants to be. Right? They want to be this young and proven league, and that's why Michael Bradley and Josie out the door and Paul Ariola are, are are signed or got signed to you know 
to create MLS and, and build the marketing and all this, and then yet you have Jermaine Jones goes, it's too easy. So how does MLS take those comments? Because they're going to have to address them. There is pressure from the media now a little bit, uh, but especially from the fans saying, like, MLS has to change something because for some reason if everybody wants to blame MLS more than U.S. Soccer Federation as a whole, and I think that's wrong because it's it, – the federation needs to look at how they're doing with this pay for play system and the academy. Uh, Armand, we had uh, Jared Miklas, the academy director, on our show in July, explaining us to us exactly what the system was built for. I wonder if that's going to change. Yeah, it, it, it probably will change uh, at least slightly. Uh, I mean, Sinugad had a conference call on Friday and said everything's going to be analyzed uh, in, the, in, in the near future. So, and obviously, when you when you fail. Uh, to, to make a World Cup changes uh, will be on the horizon. I know. I know. He said after Tuesday's debacle that uh, sweeping change, you know, wholesale changes or sweeping changes don't have to be made. But I can. I, I would expect things to change. Uh, just just given the the gravity of the situation, especially next summer. You know, when, when the World Cup fever hits and you start seeing the commercials and, and the games are starting to come on TV, the, the pre tournament friendlies are starting to happen. Yeah. And there's all this buzz and and you know U.S. U.S. soccer isn't there. <laughs> Um, I'm Ta-da. pretty sure, uh, you know, th- there will be there will be changes coming just just because that that's obviously a huge blow. Uh, as for you know where MLS lies in this thing, I mean MLS needs to do what's in MLS's best interest. Uh, I-, I tweeted this, I wrote this last week for American Soccer. Now MLS needs to you know do what's in their best interest. If that's offering Michael Bradley x amount of money to come over here and and it's something he accepts, then then you know that's MLS's business. Uh, but the U.S. national team on its own end needs to worry about. And U.S. soccer needs to worry about what's best in in the national team's interest, uh, and and there's there's I feel like there's too much too much overlapping in sense of uh, you know too much hand holding uh, between U.S. soccer and, and MLS, and I feel like it's forced sometimes. And I and I I brought this up uh, in the article I wrote last week. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the moments that Jurgen Klinsmann was very critical of of MLS and U.S. national team players coming back. It was in 2015. Uh, I believe it was in the fall, it was at, uh, or maybe 2014. But uh, he, he made a comment about uh, how MLS players were coming, uh, how U.S. national team players were coming back over to MLS, and how it was going to be tougher for for Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey to to stay at the level that they were at in Europe because MLS is not as high of a level, you know, and the, the competition is not as high. Uh, and then you know the next day, Don Garber kind of threw together a, a conference call with reporters and was you know saying how. Jurgen Klinsmann's comments were detrimental to MLS, but why is being critical of MLS when you're the U.S. national team coach? Why, why is that detrimental to the league? Why, why does it, why does the U.S. national team head coach have to have flowery opinions and then positive opinions all the time about MLS? Why can't he mm-hmm. say it how it is? And and that's and that's that's a that's a part of the problem. It's not the entire problem. It's not the whole issue. Is not why the U.S. missed out on this World Cup, but that is an issue that needs to be addressed because MLS needs to worry about itself, U.S. national team needs to worry about itself. If if, if it's in the best interest for the, a U.S. national team head coach to push his players to go to Europe or stay in Europe, then then that's then that's fine. And if MLS's best interest is to try to bring those players over, then that's fine. You, you don't have to see eye to eye uh, on everything and, and, and play nice and... and and have to just do it, just sound like you know we're all in this together. No, it's okay. It's okay to have differing opinions. It's okay no. for the U.S. national team to want players in Europe and trying themselves out at the highest level. And it's okay for MLS to want to bring them here for marketing purposes, for 
to you know to have fans that want to come out to the stadium that have young you know uh, players that young kids can aspire to be like oh, I, I get both sides of the the picture but this shouldn't be forced to, to have to share an opinion about you know MLS is a, is a great place uh, for um, for players to just have careers if that's not how the national team coach whoever that is feels then, then so be it uh, I mean like we said it, it the highest level for club soccer is, is still in Europe and that that is just a fact it's not I mean it's, it's, it's you can't really argue that no I mean um, so I would I, I gotta ask you because you, you talk about this hand holding between MLS and US soccer, but it's kinda hard not to have that hand holding because I think they kinda relay on rely on each other because look at MLS's T V ratings after the World Cup. They're crucial. They go up. And I mean, yeah, but it's it, it's too it's too much. It's too much hand holding. That that example is like that, that the example I just gave you is yeah, like that that to me is is eye opening. Like Jurgen Klinsmann was just saying what a lot of people believe or think that the highest level of soccer is is in europe uh for club and if you're a player and you want to aspire to be the best or, or push yourself uh you know to, to be the most you can be or get as far as you can in your career you want to go to europe and, and or stay in europe there's nothing wrong with saying that but then for don garber to come out the next day and say those those comments uh are, are not only detrimental to the league they're wrong and that that's that's an issue because now you're now now what now the head coach of the national team has to uh, you know, have pom poms and cheerlead for MLS, <laughs> like all, you know, just yeah. because that that that's what you that's what's in your best interest. That yeah. as a league, like the national team head coach should not have to worry about. Yeah, that his job is not to, to is not for positive PR for MLS. That's not the national team head coach's job. The national team head coach's job is to is to field the best national team he can field uh, in the short and the long term. So. Again, for me, that's that's eye opening. Uh, it was eye opening then, uh, and it's just a, it's just an anecdote, an example that I think you can take now and see uh, that that's an issue. But again, MLS is MLS can can do what it wants, but it, it shouldn't force the, the U.S. U.S. soccer and MLS should not have to be holding, should not rely on each other so much. Uh, they're both growing at a at a good rate in terms of fandom, in terms of in terms of TV ratings. Well, maybe not MLS so much, but. Uh, it, it, they don't need to be holding each other's hand this much. Like they, they can just go on their own paths. Yes, when when it's when it's when you cape when it's uh when it's available when it's optional when it's, when you can work it out together and do things together, uh, and that's fine. I mean, that, that I'll give you another example. I know last week, even before this Trinidad game, uh, Don Garber was asked, I forget where he was asked, uh, what player if he could sign any player in the world, uh, right right now, who would he sign? And he said. Pulisic. He didn't even say Messi. He didn't say Ronaldo. He said Pulisic. <laughs> and you can't uh, you can't tell me that bringing Pulisic yeah. over at MLS. Let's say he came right now, or let's say he came next summer. You could not tell me that that would be in the best interest of the U.S. national team. The Pulisic, yeah, it would be great for MLS marketing. Uh, he would be all over. He'd be the face of, of the league for who knows how many years. Maybe he'd be the next one in the Donovan in terms of just staying here his whole career and just just you know being being the face of the league. But that would not be good for the national team. And again, this is. This is where the, the, there's different interests on, in both parties. So both parties can, can do what's in their best interest, and they don't have to share opinions or, or not be critical of one another. It's okay to be critical of, of one another. That's, that's, that, that, that raises conversation. Uh, that brings up topics. When, when, you, when, you don't, when, you don't, when you're not critical, when you, when you hide the truth or don't, don't speak what you really think, then that, that leads to issues. So uh, I, think, I think there's an over-reliance on, with, with, both, with both parties. 
No, uh, Franco, I do agree. I do agree with you that I think MLS should do what's in its best interest, and the U.S. U.S. should do what's in its best interest as well. And when uh, Jurgen came out and uh, said those comments, I initially didn't really, I didn't really think um, it was that that bad, that 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 big that big of a comment. But I mean, I guess other people took it otherwise, and Garber had to, you know, come back, and you know, they they went back and forth and whatnot. I think. I think MLS just need MLS needs to grow on its own. I mean, they have MLS has its own issues, and the U.S. national team has their own issues. Now, I mean, you want your domestic league to be strong, and you want it to produce talent. But I, I'm it's it's interesting because I, Stephen, I know when you remember when we asked uh, uh, Jared Miklas, the uh, guy who oversees all the academies, um, about whether the academy system was for the national team or for the clubs what did he say he said it was for the clubs and it was to produce players within the um what with for the league that are quality yeah. for the league not for not for the national team steven what what steven what, what did you think of that i remember you had like a really interesting take on what he said i gotta not, you're putting me on the spot i don't remember but i think it's <laughs> it's a weird dynamic because if you develop players for the club and I think this one when we had, co- uh, you know, coach uh, high school um, coach um, Kaiser Fred I, Kaiser on. He kind of alluded to this too. It's this weird dynamic where okay, are we building players for the national team? But then you're funded by the federation. But then the player because it was this weird commitment. And then if the players aren't committed to the national team and they're getting investment from the federation. What's the point of the federation putting money into that rather than putting that money into the growing U.S. soccer as a whole? But then you can argue, well, the money is going to the players, which is actually growing U.S. soccer. Because you look at Atlanta United, Alderone, he's linked with, um, I think, Arsenal and I think Inter Milan for somewhere around 15 to 20 mil. That would be a huge statement. And then James Rodriguez, you know, rumored to come to MLS at age 26. Golden boot. Long shot. At, you know, 2014. Long shot. long shot. But it's this weird dynamic. And I think we MLS and U.S. soccer need to have a real sit down with each other and be like, well, how are we going to work side and side but yet have the interest of ourselves at the top, if that makes sense? Oh, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I agree again. I think these discussions will be had. Uh, I mean, they should be had. We, should, we, we have to hope that they'll be had. And I imagine that they will. Uh, and, and not just not just not just MLS and U.S. soccer, just the whole thing, you know, pay to play, like you mentioned before. Uh, everything's going to most likely be touched on, dissected, and and hopefully we'll see we'll see serious changes um, because U.S. soccer uh, U.S. soccer needs it. I mean, it doesn't just hurt it doesn't just hurt U.S. national team. It doesn't just hurt U.S. soccer that 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 they won't be at the World Cup next summer and MLS loses out too. So. Uh, it's bad for both ends. It's bad for almost anybody that's that's uh, involved or or that watches soccer uh, that the U.S. is not making it. So uh, I, I expect changes. We, we we should hope that there will be changes. And it'll, it'll, that will take time, though. So we'll see what happens. Now, Frank, I just want to thank you for joining us on the show and. Uh, on our show, what we do is we do a little shameless plug where you can tell us where we can find your work, where we can find you on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. So go ahead, tell us where we can find your work and where we can find you. Yeah, I, you know, I, I freelance for MLSsoccer.com. I'm, I write uh, regularly for AmericanSoccerNow.com. Uh, you know, my Twitter is at Franco Panizo. Keep it pretty, pretty simple <laughs> for people yeah. to follow. Um, 
and occasionally I'll do some stuff for 442 or, uh, you know, I just kind of freelance and, uh, in the soccer world. I just did a story on uh, Osvaldo Alonso for, for the Seattle Sounders magazine uh, that they put out monthly. So, uh, But most of the time you can see me, you can find me at MLSsoccer.com and American Soccer now. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Franco. Hope to talk to you down the road. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Armand, I, I got to continue his thought here, Franco's thought about this partnership with MLS and U.S. soccer. And I think it's in, it's crucial that they have a partnership because if, if, if they're not on the same wavelength, on the same page, then it's a disaster for both ends. I mean, but I mean, the thing is, are, like, are they on the same page? I mean, they're no, they're not. not. I mean, for, from what, from what we heard from, from Miklas, from all these, from all, from all these other, from all these other people, I mean, they're always not on the same page, and you think they should be on the same page? I think there needs, like you said, I, there needs to be a sit down between the two sides and be like, here's our role, here's your role, that's it, done, boom. Like, it's just it, there needs to be like some sort of discussion when it comes. But to, what's what's what's, gonna, what's the role with Bundesliga in Germany? What's the role with Syria in Italy? That's something we should look at. I mean, I don't have the answer off the top of my head, but I think there is a dynamic. Uh, for example, the Chinese Super League. Yeah, China has absolutely no national team, but they make a they make a point the of foreign emphasis. restrictions. Yeah, yes, and England about. even has that. Or UEFA puts that on the its Champions League squad, where you do have to have some sort of domestic amount of players and homegrown and this weird thing. Well, the, the MLS has that too. That's the thing. The MLS has it. There's only like what nine or ten international spots, and there's a really big emphasis on homegrowns and, and, and whatnot. Um, it's just, I think it's it, it's a it's a matter of the whole academy system and whether, like you said, for producing players for the U.S. national team. I think it's a really key issue that uh, that uh, when we talked to uh, Fred Kaiser, he really hit home. Are we producing teams for the national team? Or are we producing teams for clubs? Because if it's for the if it's for the Nash, if it's for the clubs, why is the USSF funding it? Yeah, which makes total sense. I agree with that. 100%. I mean, it's a really interesting take because it's, it's it's such a are they separate or are they together? Like we don't know. I mean, with Bruce Arena and MLS, they seem like they're more together. You saw the amount of MLS players he called up. He had a Almost good relationship too with much MLS. To me. Yeah. And but with Jurgen, Jurgen didn't like that. No, and and somebody I don't remember who, but somebody made that statement. Was it Jermaine Jones that said, "Yeah, look at the amount of European players under Bob Bradley." Yeah, yeah, it was Jermaine Jones. But Here's another interesting question is the issue of young American players going to uh, going abroad like for example Sargent going abroad early but then you have like a, a Kellen Acosta bring gets br- uh, brought up to the uh, uh academy MLS. you know yeah and i mean y- you saw the story uh excuse me from uh Jermaine Jones and about Jordan Morris it's what now the thing is I don't think Jordan Morris's thing was staying at Seattle I think it was his college career I mean I understand if you want to stay in college and enjoy it and all that good stuff um but if you want to take your career seriously as a you soccer go Europe. player you go challenge I, yourself in Europe or because... or you sign with MLS maybe at 18 yeah because he could have 
he he was playing uh, national team friendlies as a person as a uh, as a player at Stanford. Yeah, and I think he could he could have easily maybe signed with the Sounders as a homegrown deal. Yeah, or if he could have gone to Werder Bremen. I mean, th- that's my thing. I don't think it was the much of choosing between those two. I think it was the amount of time he spent in college. And I do have a gripe against the college system. Um, I know Stephen, you do too, and I know a lot of people are. Well, you are do. Starting I mean, you have a huge gripe. Yeah, I've, I, I really. I, I mean, I went and I, I've seen college games and TV. I've seen. <laughs> I understand for some for some players. I wouldn't actually watch one. Uh, for some players, it's really good. For some players to get the education, it's really good. But the mainly a lot a lot there's there's it's it's unbelievable. I mean, if you want to look at FC Dallas, for example, one of the better teams, their 2016 draft class, none of the players are on a team, none. So. They get most of their players through the academy. Should there be a draft? Should it be? It's it's a complete mess. I mean, if you want to talk about it now, we can, or we can save it for another show. I don't really care. We'll save it for but, another um, show because we we got to yeah, move on. But, I mean, but you make yeah, you make a, you got to make you make a great point uh, with with the college kids coming out. They're coming out way too late. The college game kills their development. It's a culture. It's a culture issue. Like yes. I mentioned, and then we the think pl- uh, we the, think a we think a sorry, Stephen. We think a uh, a player is a rookie at twenty four, but. In the rest of the world, he's getting lots of first-team minutes. James Rodriguez is 26. His career, is he's on the verge of becoming older and not worth the money because he's 26. You know, yes, he still has a lot of value. But one other point, Armand, and I think you, we have to question the competitiveness of MLS on a week-in and week-out consistency. Yes, level play is growing. The amount of talent is growing. We see that. It's a regular season value. It's the value value of picking up points when it's needed because that's what killed the U.S. is the fact they could not grind out a result against Trinidad and Tobago. Just think about that. And that's a a discussion for another whole other day. But I know promotion relegation is coming back up. Uh, There's a huge... Back and forth on Twitter, Reddit, and all the social media platforms. But we're going to transition into MLS playoffs. It's time. Yep. Now we're going to talk some MLS playoffs. Joining us is Dan Crook. He writes with me at thirddegree.net, a blog that covers FC Dallas for the Dallas Morning News, and also is a contrib- contributor for MLSsoccer.com. Dan, how are you doing today? I know you're watching the game, so how are you feeling? Uh, depressed after the game, but thanks for having <laughs> me on. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's a lot of depression this week if you're an Arsenal supporter or U.S. supporter or FC Dallas supporter, just depression all around. So it happens Absolutely, to be at all yeah. three. Anyway, all three. Just the trifecta. Yeah, just the trifecta. <laughs> and a sw- add the Swiss factor too. It's just, I don't know, 12 feet under. But uh, MLS playoffs, you excited? Depends how next week goes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we t- uh, tonight for our viewers who aren't in the loop, uh, Dallas lost to Seattle. Well, lost, got shell shocked 
uh, by Seattle 4-0, and uh, San Jose drew with Vancouver. And based on the wins tiebreaker, Dallas is now currently looking on the outside, looking into the playoffs. Uh, Dan, what what do you make from the game? I mean, we were texting a little bit about it, but I mean, it just it just didn't look like Dallas played with urgency. Uh, not at all. I mean, the first goal, Matt Hedges just kind of switches off, looks around, and then suddenly um, Rodriguez is is the wrong goal. Uh, second goal, Jesse Gonzalez has to hold on to a really you know a routine stop. Uh, third again, Matty just wasn't his night. Uh, ball kind of ricochets to him, seems to hit both of his legs, and he doesn't react to it at all. Uh, again, it goes to Rodriguez. Eventually lays it off to Bruin. Um, even the fourth. Uh, Grace has literally got two hands on uh, who had the fourth. It was Lamar Nagel, the FC Dallas killer. Yep. Had two hands on him, staring him in the eyes. Maybe he wanted to like hug him or something. I'm not too sure. But he just stood there and watched Nagel jump over him. Yeah. Um, there was a, it was almost like they quit at the 30th minute. Is there an issue in the clubhouse? With this club? Nothing obvious. Um, I mean, there's the Walker Zimmerman situation. You know, he says he's fit. It's been a while since he was injured. He's obviously been in the team. Oscar's hesitant to play him. Uh, there's something going on there. Kind of like how there was with um, Mo Hernandez the year before. You, you know, know, and he kind of fell out of love and that was it. Wasn't it Armand? Wasn't it Jeff Reuter who who said something that there was he noticed an issue with FC Dallas? Um, if if you're talking, uh, are you talking about Matt Doyle or Jeff Reuter? Because uh, Matt Doyle has already said there's locker room issues. Somebody I don't uh, within remember Dallas. Who. It could have been Doyle. Yeah, it probably, it probably it probably was Doyle. He said there's locker room issues, but I mean, just something is something is just really off with this team. I mean, yeah. we saw them. I mean. We I, we keep saying this. We saw them go toe to toe in the uh, Champions League and almost make it to the final. We saw them have an impressive start, but I mean, it, it, it's just got it's just gone downhill from here. And I mean, from a guy who goes to FC, we both go to FC Dallas. Me and Dan go to FC Dallas uh, week in and week out, and we watch them, and we just feel like we're anticipating a loss. And I mean, Dan, do you feel the same way? Do you feel like you're just a loss is coming almost every single week now? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, if there's a if if they can see the goal in the first half, your automatic reaction is, oh, here we go again. It's they just drop their heads so easily. Um, the morale within the team just seems so fragile. It's it's poor. And for all you viewers who are outside of Dallas, as we do, we try to focus, you know, every now and then uh, on particular. And this, we're bringing up FC Dallas because FC Dallas going into the season was. Not expected to be just a playoff team, but expected to be a deep Cup run. contender. Yeah, a lot of people actually picked them to win it because they thought they're not going to get the supporter shield. It's just too much uh, of a, a, a stranglehold on the club because there's so much pressure for them to succeed that to get to the playoffs, you get a, a hot club, Seattle, 10 minutes, ruin their season, and they go off and they win the MLS Cup. You're at home with the supporter shield. They thought, okay, a lot of pundits thought FC Dallas could flip that and do the vice versa, kind of, you know, coast through the playoffs, maybe get a, a one or two to see, not necessarily be where Toronto's at, 
but I mean, this team has just fallen off the map. I mean, there's 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 also there's elements to the running as well. Uh, were Dallas expected to get anything from tonight? No, absolutely not. That was Seattle's tenth win of the season at home. They're dominant. <clears throat> at the same time, Vancouver would have had their tenth win tonight. Uh, San Jose found a way to fight back. Last year, everything about Dallas was they could go into the 88th minute, 2-1 down, and you could guarantee they're going to pull a draw out or maybe even a win. Yeah. Now, if it's 1-0 after five minutes, you're like, well, what's this going to be, like 4-5-0? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's spot on, Dan. I mean, look at the rest of the league, and, you know, it's, it, it's a question of, like, it's almost like the same thing as we're looking at U.S. soccer. Who is it to blame? Uh, I feel like we're we're going to slowly, slowly start playing a blame game because, I mean, is it Pareja's fault? Is it the management's fault for not helping him bring in more reinforcements? Is it the player's fault for almost looking like you're giving Even up? Not? I mean, yeah. for, I mean, I, 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 I genuinely don't know. Do you think it's <clears throat> the players maybe looking into the future? I know I think it was either Buzz or Peter, uh, Peter just tweeted out on Third Degree account that – Players looking elsewhere might be might be distracted. Do you think those uh, interests from overseas uh, or, or even from Argentina, in the case of Arudi and Barrios, have, have played maybe a factor in uh, how you, the team is kind of playing and gelling? I mean, it wouldn't be beyond reason. Uh, certainly, if a player was looking at potentially next week is their last game before the January transfer window. You know, why should I go and get injured now? It's a valid concern. And then you got the Kellen um, Costa situation. Yeah, Kellen's a, Kellen's a strange. I mean, obviously that was heavily dependent on the U.S. men's national team. Um, you know, he doesn't have that op- that quite such an opportunity to really get in the shop window and impress people now. So maybe that's his chance gone. Um, when I spoke to Dan Hunt recently... Uh, at the in the midst of that whole Barrios Naruti situation, he said that FC Dallas have absolutely not received a bid for Kellen Acosta. Mm. So I mean, where's the interest coming from? Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's weird with these MLS rumors. Um, but we, we need to change gears here and talk about something that we haven't <laughs> talked about on the show. Here is the referee. Illegal substitution, team sheet, Twitter this, Twitter that. Um, Armand, you and I talked off the record on this issue quite a bit. But, uh, Dan, let, let's get your take. FC Dallas played a player who was pulled off from the starting team sheet, introduced. This was Barrios. Tesho came, uh, started, and then in the 88th minute, Barrios came on to the pitch. Uh, MLS Twitter's free went crazy. They wanted... FC Dallas would be docked a point. You had um, Paul. What, what's his last name, Armand? Now I'm forgetting. Tenario. Tenario. Uh, give his account. He went on ESPN radio to to go on. But Dan, I mean, fill us in from from FC Dallas's perspective. One, when what what happened? Yeah. So uh, firstly, shout out to whoever runs Rail Salt Lake's Twitter account. They had a great little joke about it today. If you look at their lineups. Um, even with the uh, the late change to the lineup. <laughs> uh, so I, I, had a, I had a chance to speak to Oscar. Uh, Buzz also had a chance to speak to Oscar. Uh, the feeling was that 
you know, they were having a warm up. Barrio started feeling a bit of pain in his foot. You know, there's a discussion going back and forth. You know, do you think you can still play through it? Barrio's like, well, you I mean I would try, but I this is this is too there's too much discomfort. I can't start the game. He's already locked into the team sheet. The team sheet goes in now before the game. Uh, so Oscar sends uh, the team admin with a, a team sheet back with the team sheet to say, hey, we really need to pull Barrios out of the lineup. We'd like to switch in Tesho, and then Barrios is going to go, you know, take an early shower, suit up, and sit in the stand or whatever. Uh, and then the ref, which is it's a really crazy situation because it's, it's totally inappropriate for a referee to do it, said, you know he can still sit on the bench. Uh, my understanding is that, you know, the rule is, once a team sheet is submitted to the referee, if you make a change to that for injury or illness, the player who's been removed from the starting lineup, he's he's done for the day. He, his day's work's over. Uh, if you do that within fifty, oh sorry, but the you can also pull in another player as a to, as a replacement sub. So obviously away from home, it's irrelevant. But at home, you can say, "Hey Reggie, hey Paxton, suit up. You're going to sit on the bench in place." Uh, the referee misquoted a rule which says that if you do this within 15 minutes of kickoff, you lose that place on the bench. You'd have to go with six. Uh, so this change occurred 22 minutes before kickoff, uh, just where kickoff is at eight minutes past the hour for TV. So the referee has noted on the team sheet, you know, this is, I think it was 3.46 at the time, or 348, whichever it was. Um, you know, and, and that he authorizes this. He's the one that actually wrote the change in. It wasn't a case of someone presented him with the change. Uh, they've then gone back to Oscar. Oscar's looked at it and said, no, no, that, that's that's not right. So they've gone back. They've tried to confirm it, come back again. You know, they've gone through this like three times. Uh, so at that point, you know, Michael Barrios is a part of the matchday squad as as per the referee. Um, and the International Football Associations Board, the, the group that make the laws of the game for FIFA, their decree is that there is no... They don't have the rules that MLS has. Those two rules that MLS have were competition-specific. The referees say is final, according to the AFAB, so it's kind of contradictory. So... You know, their attitude is, well, he shouldn't be on the bench anyway, so if we're screwed with him on the bench, we're screwed with him in the game, right? Comes towards the end of the game. I I still don't understand why. It seems kind of pointless to risk it. But, you know, goalless, heavily defending, you bring on an attacking player who doesn't really do a whole lot. That makes perfect sense. Uh, <laughs> Orlando, the kicker is Orlando saw this change beforehand, and they were okay with it. When they didn't get the win, they weren't okay with it. <laughs> and they decided, hey, we deserve Classic. this forfeit for not scoring a goal. Um, you know, and then you have this this whole social media situation where people are misquoting another FIFA mm -hmm. law, it, which says that uh, ineligible players being played should deem it as a forfeit. Well, everything with FIFA, and if, if you're ever... Like strongly familiar with the laws of the game, everything is open to interpretation. So it's not just eligible, ineligible. 
there's like there's several different layers of ineligibility. So there's a good example in USL earlier this year where I think it was it might have been Tulsa. Their opening fixture, they played a player that they hadn't bothered to register with the league. It's not a case of he was pulled out of the lineup. He was compl- he wasn't eligible to play for anybody. He wasn't registered. The fees associated with registering, even though it's like two dollars, weren't paid. So they had to forfeit. That was you know that was the worst kind of ineligible player. Maybe depending on morality, playing a suspended player maybe worse. Um, in terms of FC Dallas, it was a guy getting on the field for six minutes didn't affect the game. It was a goalless draw. It definitely had playoff implications on both halves, so MLS don't want to interfere there. Common sense dictates you find them. At worst, you do the comp- the, the typical thing for professional clubs, which is to let the results stand and then strip the point. Those were really the two options. The forfeit was never actually on the table. Uh, MLS, in their approach and... You know, the same thing they try and preach with uh, VAR and everything else they do is we we want to have no interference if we can help it. So that that was the way it went. And, you know, in terms of the referee's culpability, which is, you know, another great argument for FC Dallas, do you really want to say the referee was blameless in it and then have, you know, FC Dallas come back and say, well, here's why he wasn't. We're going to really make a deal out of this. Do you want to let FC Dallas off completely? And have four potentially four teams complain about it. Uh, was, uh, was yeah, it was I, yeah. it was it was messy. I mean, I remember me and Steven talked about it, and I thought at first I was like, mm, I, I don't know. But I mean, then when you start to realize the situation, you're like something is kind of wrong here. There's no way uh, someone would, I feel like, willingly just do it disobey just disobey a rule exactly and then you saw orlando fans upset rsl fans upset san jose fans upset i mean everyone's a league upset over i mean it, it was just it was just such it was just such an odd situation and uh the paul like seemed to run away with the story and just i mean we heard him talk on uh the Salt Lake Radio, Stephen, and we thought he wasn't that confident no, when he was. He, uh, he backtracked, and what you and I discussed now that we know kind of more of the facts, there was something off between FC Dallas, the referee, in the situation. Because is the referee's job not to say he can't bring him on? There, there was some sort of communication between that, and I think Paul, who did a good job uncovering the story, who probably was tipped absolutely, off. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations. But then he started to introdu- introduce his own opinion, and it started to just confuse everybody. And they're gone. He he's the, a former Orlando Sentinel reporter. He has a very vested interest in it. Uh, I'm not going to say that any of us don't, because we're all we're all Dallas people that follow FC Dallas. Um, but. There's a time to be objective and subjective, and yeah. the subjectivity came out. Yeah, no, and I, I, I think it, w- it was a, it's a bad look for the league. Now, the league, thankfully, as the U.S. to, to have you know failure, so nobody really cares about the story anymore. They could, uh, you know, the U.S. is leading the charge when it comes to. I mean, everybody's commenting to to the Premier League coverage on NBC. They were talking about the U.S. So, I mean, it, it it's you know. Typically, you see it's only Premier League talk, but... I mean, it's, even 
even back in the UK, it's it's been a big story. Uh, you know, it's it shouldn't happen. Quite simply. Yeah. I mean, my my, my final take on it was, I mean, you, it 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 seemed like a uh, it seemed like no one else would welcome the uh, welcome and an opposing opinion of saying, hey, maybe something else is wrong here. I felt like it was just it was just it was just a it was just a witch hunt by you know especially the Salt Lake uh, Orlando um, San Jose coalition that all had like a vested interest in making the playoffs and whatnot and that's when I think it started to take fire and take off. I mean we'll see if the point really affects them. It knocked out Orlando, but I didn't think Orlando was making the playoffs anyway. But uh, yeah. when it comes to Dallas, I mean I'm I'm not I'm it, will it affect them? Will it not? Will they? I mean you will have outrage if they make it. With just that, with it, just that point. But I mean, at this stage, I feel like it's it's gonna it's gonna be up to. It, I think each team has their own needs to get their job done. Is if Salt Lake loses, they can't blame anybody. If San Jose loses, they can't blame anybody. So I mean, it's 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 all dependent on if the teams can can do their job and, and whatnot. I mean, that that's my take on it. No, I agree. I think, uh, I think yeah, with with the Orlando thing, uh, there was certainly. There were fans grasping the straws. They have a lot of investment, that brand-new stadium, a great atmosphere, but they've never been in the playoffs. Um, they've watched New York City similarly flounder that first season and then go on to challenge for the Supporters' Shield last year to finish a, a very distant second, it looks like, to Toronto. But the fact remains, you could give them those two points and they'd still be what, six points out with... Three points left to play for. Yeah, yeah. I... Uh, certainly, in the West, there's a. It's more complicated. Uh, the situation wouldn't be greatly different because after everything that's happened tonight, mm-hmm. FC Dallas would still have to win and still have to hope that San Jose don't win. No, yeah, Dan, we appreciate you joining, especially giving us the insight on what happened between Oscar. And the referee and the debacle, the controversy MLS had to deal with. Uh, where can we find you on Twitter? Give us your information. That way, the viewers can uh, find your content. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, absolutely. There's there's no better plug than a shameless plug. Uh, I'm at crook86. <laughs> that's uh, crook with an e on the end. And uh, yeah, if you if you like controversial hot takes on soccer and all it implies by someone who has absolutely no idea what they're talking about <laughs> Armin's Twitter's there too <laughs> there you go oh wow you go. thanks well we appreciate it and uh, if FC Dallas sneaks in maybe we'll we'll give you a ring always well thank you very much guys thanks Dan Great insight into the referee legal substitution. I that would, weird. It, it, that it's was. really weird, but I mean, it, you need to understand every detail. And I think Dan gets to it, and it, it's important to understand every detail because that's why uh, you have such a controversy like this. Is because there were the details are the difference in why FC Dallas did what they did and what the referee said to them. But moving on to MLS playoffs because boys, it heating up, and we've got one week left. The uh, ultimate decision day is coming up. I'm excited. Decision day is going to decide one playoff spot. Everybody else is confirmed. Yeah. Supporter Shield champ, no surprise. 
Toronto. Uh, they could break into 70 points if they get a win next weekend. Impressive. That'd be very impressive. Very um, impressive. Average... See... Go on. Oh, I was just excited to see them hopefully break it. They're averaging two points per game, a whole point three higher than second place NYCFC, and a whole point four higher than Vancouver, who is the current number one seed here in the West. Uh, to for the Eastern Conference, you have NYCFC, Chicago Fire, Atlanta United, Columbus Crew, and the Red Bulls complete out. Uh, Kaka in Orlando City, no more. That partnership is out. done, but they're obviously out along with DC United, the Union, the Impact, and the Revolution. Uh, no surpri- Any surprises from the East when, now that we're looking at the, the final playoff chart? Honestly, I was kind of spoiled by the way Montreal with uh, Ignacio Piatti. They're a really talented team. And I think Jamiley. They just, yeah, Jamiley, and I think they just, they just struggled, and they just couldn't rack up the wins. I mean, I thought they had something when they yep. beat Toronto. I think moment- 5-3, was it? Yeah, the momentum was going. For I thought they could then, be that Seattle S, but it just never picked. Just never up, accumulated. Yeah, you know? never, never But I mean, outside of that, I mean, st- I mean, Stephen, we're looking at a really just. There's only two spots confirmed in the East, and that's one and six. Uh, two through five are looking like a. Um, it's going to be a dogfight. I mean, one of the games next week uh, is actually going to be NYCFC versus Columbus. And that game is a game that's going to be at City Field, so that's going to be interesting to see uh, how that goes. <laughs> you know, and, you know, uh, I saw a t- another another. Go ahead. I saw a tweet. Don't remember who it's from, but NYCFC is that college friend that just couch surfaces. <laughs> yeah, couch surfaces exactly. And we like the East is packed with huge games all around. I'm talking Atlanta, Toronto FC, NYCFC, Columbus. That NYCFC Columbus game is probably going to be televised. Uh, to 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 be uh, playing symbol with you, and then you you, you have um, not Atlanta's record. No, I don't think so. You have Houston and Chicago playing too. That'll be interesting to see. So I mean, you have a lot of storylines, and I mean, yeah, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see, man. I mean, I'm really excited to see how the East is gonna shake because those home games are really important. They are, and I mean, if you look at the home records, Toronto's by far the highest, but Columbus Crew. Has a better home record than NYCFC. So, and then the funny thing is, you look at the road record, and every club is just trash. God awful. It's awful, except for Toronto, who has actually a winning, a winning uh, record on the road. But um, I wanted to let the listeners know next week we'll do a playoff preview, so we're not going to get too far in depth. But that's the Eastern Conference. We know the six, uh, two through five. It's gonna. It's, there's gonna be changes. Who knows? It'd be awesome to see Atlanta host uh, a playoff game in that you know crazy atmosphere and see what they can do. Meanwhile, in the West, one through five are figured out uh, as far as playoff qualification. Now, necessarily seeding again. Uh, Vancouver right now has the number one seed. Then you got Portland, Seattle, Sporting KC, and Houston. Uh, good to see Houston back in the playoffs. Sporting KC, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a very dangerous team at home. Oh, they're very, they're very good at home. Very good defensively as well. Yes, uh, but the whole the way record, God, is a terrible. Same with Houston. Houston one win on the road. Kansas City two. Like, and then it's it's not, and it doesn't get any better. Seattle only has three. Right, so sure. Dallas <laughs> only has three. San Jose only has three. So. 
<coughs> excuse me, whoever gets the higher seed and hosts the first seed, the pl- first playoff game, and they're at home, or who you know, uh, it's a huge advantage, especially these clubs who are just terrible on the road. And I mean, I, I I hate I hate to be that guy, but I mean, looking at looking at these, I think in at least the Western Conference. The top four seats should, I mean, whatever happens, top four seats should move on. I mean, I mean, just compared to uh, their home in a way. I mean, these home games are really important. So I mean, I think whoever gets the home is going to end up winning uh, in that in those knockout games. I mean, we saw it last year. I think almost every team except Montreal uh, was the home team that won. So I mean, there's that. I mean, there's a six seed that needs to be determined still. Yeah, and I mean, Vancouver in to Sporting KC one through four separated by three points. So yeah, what's the difference between Sport and KC? I I, I wouldn't be surprised if they represent are the representatives out of the Western Conference, or if it's the reigning champ Seattle, or if it's newcomers Vancouver. Vancouver is definitely the club that I didn't expect to be this good. I don't think anyone did, to be honest with you. I it's it's weird. And then Dallas, we talked about Dallas in the previous segment. Uh, outside looking in as along with RSL. And Ben San Jose is in, and they're tied with Minnesota for a second worst goal differential in the league, and they are currently in the playoffs. <laughs> it's, well, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That is um, Welcome that's unbelievable. MLS. Welcome they to turned MLS. it around under their uh, their their general manager turned coach. Um, just looking at it, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see who's going to move on. I mean, San Jose is playing Minnesota while Dallas is playing LA, and I was talking about talking to people. Uh, before the show, I do think LA is a quality side, even if they're pretty god, even if their record says they're god awful. I think they can beat FC Dallas or at least give them a scare. I don't know. Will Minnesota want to play spoiler against San Jose on the road? I sure think they will. Um, and then looking at Salt Lake, they're playing Sporting Kansas City. That's a really just terrible matchup for Salt Lake. You have a Sporting KC side that's hungry. They want they want that seating. They want that home playoff berth. And if Houston wins, they they don't have they don't, and they lose, they won't have that spot. So you're gonna see definitely. I just I think it's gonna be a great decision day, Stephen. I think it really yeah, is. Yeah, no, it's there's gonna be some games that are irrelevant. Montreal, New England, uh, Philadelphia, Orlando, DC United, Red Bulls. But I mean, outside of that, every game has a meaning. It has uh, a meaning, and we'll see what happens in the knockout for a playoff preview and. The knockout stages. I mean, Stephen, who are you surprised by? Uh, Van- Vancouver, Van- Chicago, Outside maybe Vancouver. At- Atlanta. Let's be honest. I didn't new club. Maybe get the sixth seed. I didn't expect them to to be a four seed, even a potential two seed in the in the Eastern Conference. Uh, obviously, the the disaster of FC Dallas is, is quite frankly kind of shocking. As much as I like to mock the club, I expected them to at least be four or higher. Um, what about yourself? Wrap it up here. Um, yeah, I'll wrap it up real quick. Um, I'm relatively surprised surprised uh, at the outside. Like I said, outside of Vancouver, I'm surprised because Columbus came out. I would say have not been talked about throughout the league. And Burhalter, they were terrible last year, and Burhalter has turned them around. They went from MLS Cup finalists to complete terrible to now in the playoffs and potentially to seed. And I think it's fantastic to see, but. Listeners, you can always follow us on Twitter at yes. UncSamSoccerPod. You can follow me on Twitter at 
Armand Kafai. That is A R M A N K A F A I. I hope you enjoy this show. And Steven, I know we can find you on Twitter too at Steven Jodderand. Really easy to say. And I guys, again, <laughs> I, hope you, I, I, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed the show. We. We really appreciate the support we got for our last episode and the support we're getting on our episodes overall from the bottom of our hearts. It does mean a lot that uh, we are getting support, and we just love talking about American soccer. We love talking about what's going on. We hate to see it happening, but we love that we have a platform to talk and discuss with our viewers on yes. a day, on a weekly basis. I agree, Armand, 100%. Our love to you, listeners. Knows no bounds. Uh Next week, MLS playoffs. That's all it's going to be. No U.S. soccer. We'll have to wait till after the playoffs to continue that discussion. See you then. Bye. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving.